The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. I will not wear the mask. 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 I will not wear a mask. I will not get the vaccine. I will not get the vaccine. And I will not get the vaccine. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will resist evil. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. I will submit to God. In the Lord, I will praise his word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not be afraid. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and let my cry come to you. Do not hide your face from me in the day. For the Lord is the great God, and the great King above all. Rise up, O judge of the earth. Render punishment to the proud. Lord, how long will the wicked, how long will the wicked triumph? Righteousness and justice are the foundation of this I hate the work of those who follow it. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. For I have said, mercy shall be built up forever. Your faithfulness you shall stand. On an instrument of ten strings, on the lute and on the harp, with harmonious sound. For you, O Lord, have made me glad through your works. I will you, triumph Lord, in the works of your are on high forevermore. For behold, your enemies shall perish. All the workers of iniquity shall be scattered. I will defy tyrants. 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 And with that, good morning, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all of the boat ruckers who are in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us here this morning and if you'd like to check us out online please do so sons of liberty radio.com and also sons of liberty media.com in fact if you're listening by way of red state talk radio and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show that's right you can see the face that's made for radio head over to sons of liberty media.com scroll down on the right side of the page and you'll see that there is two videos there one showing the the seven six to seven a.m eastern click on the play button there and you'll be able to uh, live stream what we're doing here on the radio. Also, there will be a rump, the, the word rumble there in the corner. Click on that, and you can join us in the chat. Lots of friends in there every day, so we're always appreciative of you guys joining us. Right above that is Bradley's show from yesterday. Be sure to click on that. That will be uh, there up until 3 p.m., 
Eastern, 2 p.m. Central, and then he goes live uh, for an hour, so you don't you don't want to miss him when he comes on as well. Right above that's where you can subscribe to our newsletter. And remember, we don't rent your email, sell it, or spam it. Get one email from us today, including the morning show archive. And then if you agree with our message and you want to help us out, there's a donate button at the top of sonsoflibertymedia.com. Click on it, make a one-time donation, or you can partner with us monthly as a son or daughter of liberty. That link is also at the top of the page. And then our store is available. This week we're highlighting the toboggans, right? Uh, You guys up north call them winter caps. I call them toboggans down here. They're normally $10.00. Uh, But this week only through Saturday at midnight, you can get them for 30% off with the promo code WINTER30. WINTER and the number 30, all one word in the the promo box there in the store. Put that in. You get 30% off of those. Get as many as you want. Keep your head warm. Trust me. These are these are high quality things. You can't wear them indoors, that's for sure, because uh, you're going to sweat. But if it's cold outside, you want to get some of these, and uh, and they're great. Now we've got a special guest on, and uh, I the the way I w- kind of want to introduce him is by way of playing. You know, I've been telling you guys about this this documentary, Enemies Within the Church. You can see the trailer at sonsoflibertymedia.com. Scroll down; it's just below where I showed you for the uh, the live stream. But uh, I, I've had the DVD for about a week or so, and I hadn't had time to watch it. So I'm like, I've got to get, I've got to watch it. I wanted to watch it, and so I sat down Sunday. I watched it, and it's phenomenal. It really is. But I, what I thought was, I would take about the first five minutes here, uh, which is the last five minutes of the DVD, and let you get a taste of our guest. It's uh, Pastor Kerry Gordon, and just look, take a listen. To what this guy says, it's right in line with the message of the Sons of Liberty. Here he is. If we would just do whoops, what the Bible tells us to do, if we would just say what it says to say, that message is so powerful, there's not an army in the world that can withstand it. There's not a nation in the world that can withstand the preaching of the real gospel. There's not a false religion on this planet that can survive a people willing to preach the real gospel. This gospel overthrows wicked kingdoms and takes down tyrants and brings liberty out of the ground. This gospel puts joy inside of people that cannot be smashed no matter how evil it gets in society. You can't stop the real gospel of God. The problem is not that people don't want the gospel. The problem in America is not that the gospel's too weak and the devil's too big. The problem is people won't preach it. You substituted it with sugar. If we would preach the gospel, we could still save this country. The gospel is the only way to save America. Obey the gospel. And what is the gospel? It's a kingdom with laws. How do you save America? I'll tell you how. You have to preach the real gospel and you have to confront people and be willing to have them say, you're mean. I don't like you. You have to be willing to lose your job to stand for something. You have to be willing to not get invited to some party. You have to be willing to be uninvited from the next family reunion. 
When Jesus said, if you're not willing to turn your back on your brothers and sisters and mother and father, you can't be my disciple. He was serious. I'm tired of fake Christianity. It's hard enough to do my job. I need real warriors. Preachers who are listening and watching, you've got to preach the real gospel and stop patting people on the head. You've got to do what Jesus said to do, and you start the gospel with repent. The kingdom, the laws, you broke them. You cannot skip that step. If you skip that step, you're cheating people out of salvation. It begins in the pulpit, but it immediately leans upon you sitting in the pews. You are the ones that are called to herald the gospel to your friends, your family, and your neighbors. You're the ones, not just us. It's you too. You have to tell people, listen, there's a kingdom. There's a, it has laws. You can see it in the Ten Commandments. It's the simplest way to look at it. This is simple. You've broken them. You're in trouble. You've got to repent. Jesus made a way for you to get saved from what you're going to get if you don't repent, and that's hell. What am I supposed to repent for? Just because you say it's sin? I don't think it's a sin. No, you got to repent for your sins. Well, how does anybody know that they've sinned? Who gets to define what sin is? Us? No, God does. You have to take them to what the Apostle Paul said is the schoolmaster that leads them to Christ. What is the schoolmaster according to the Apostle Paul? In Galatians 3.24, he says that the Old Testament law, the law of the kingdom, this is the schoolmaster that will get you to Jesus Christ. What do you need the law for to get to Jesus Christ? I thought Jesus did away with the law. You thought wrong. Jesus did away with the law of sin and death. He didn't do away with the good ideas of not lying, stealing, and cheating, and killing each other. You've been taught by antinomian heretics. You don't even know what that verse means. The founding fathers lived in an era when the church valued the law of God. They loved it. They loved the Ten Commandments in the churches. The pastors cared. That was the era. In 1789, when the Constitution was ratified, they codified the Ten Commandments into state law in every state. That's the difference. And why did they do that? Because they were preaching the real gospel in those days. They had George Whitfield. They had people that knew what the gospel was. They weren't running around saying, God loves you, have a flower. So we find the Apostle Paul, Acts chapter 17, verse 30. Listen to the Apostle Paul preach the same thing. I'm supposed to be preaching and you're supposed to be sharing with your friends that need Jesus. This is his words, Acts 17, verse 30. God is now proclaiming to mankind, all people everywhere are to repent. Because he set a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he has appointed having furnished proof to all people by raising him from the dead. That's Acts 17, 30 and 31. And that's the Apostle Paul preaching the real gospel, the one of repentance. When you preach the real gospel, you'll get real gospel results. When you preach a counterfeit gospel, you will get counterfeit gospel results. Do you know what would happen in America if every pastor next Sunday began to preach the real gospel that I just explained to you? I'm going to tell you exactly what would happen. I want you to listen carefully. They would have half their church leave. 
And it would be the best thing that ever happened to the American church. Flush out the fakes. Flush out the flesh. Flush out the pansies. Flush out the people who want all the Jesus without any of the work. And that's why they won't do it. And they know what I know. You get up and you give somebody a puzzle piece, they get mad and they'll never come back. The best thing would happen in America is if American pastors would get up and stop playing games with people. Tell them there's a kingdom and it's got laws and you're breaking them and we don't tolerate that around here. You'll run them out of the building. And then you know what would happen two weeks later? God would come back to church. The presence of God would come back in the room because all of the people that are an offense to him that walk around in their lukewarm sin would be out of there, not contaminating his house. Let's put the right box top in front of us and start reassembling the shattered pieces of our civilization and our church. And let's pray that God will raise up pastors who are willing to run some people out of their congregations so we can start fresh. Maybe we can turn this around. Amen. Amen. (laughs) Whoa, I'm going to tell you what, and I'm sorry, the technical thing of everything going on the video there. If that don't light you fire, your wood's wet. That's what I tell you, okay? That is the real gospel. It's my privilege and pleasure to welcome to the Sons of Liberty, Kerry uh, Gordon. He is a pastor of more than 25 years. He's a husband. He's a father to six and has a multi-generational vision, and he's preaching the real gospel of the kingdom. Welcome, Pastor Kerry. Thank you. It's a privilege to be here with you. Yeah, it's probably kind of weird sitting there watching yourself preach. I, I don't like to watch myself do a show or something, but I want to tell you, man, uh, I, I, I listened, I watched the documentary. There was, with a heavy heart, because I'm sitting here going, how can some of these guys do what they're doing? And we're going to talk about it in a minute. But then to have you have a climax like that, to say, basically, the king is on the throne, and he's got laws, and you've got to turn from your sin, which is transgression of the law, First John 3, 4, and you've, that's repentance. That's real repentance. And the gospel today has been put out that it's, well, Jesus loves you and has a, has a great plan for your life. And it's like, where did that come from in Scripture? Do you want to elaborate a little bit on how, because this has been sort of a, a labor of love for you, this, this documentary uh, that you've put out for several years. Do you want to elaborate on how you came to, to put this out? Sure. Um I was a, I was approached by a um, documentary filmmaker many years ago, and they had made a movie on taxes, on taxation, and they had just about finished it. And apparently the production team said, you know, what we're missing is we haven't talked to any member of the clergy. I wonder what the clergy has to say about taxes. So they came and asked me, would you be willing to talk about taxes from your point of view? What do you think about taxes out of the Bible? And I said, all right. So I sat down and I... Um, did a brief interview. And I think I was in that documentary for about two and a half minutes. And then it showed all over the United States and, and uh, all of the theaters. And in that two and a half minutes, apparently the report came back to the producers that on the first night of the showing, people in the theaters stood up and started shouting because they liked what I said. <laughs> so, can you, can you elaborate on what you said there in those two and a half minutes? Um, well, it was in the context of talking about the IRS and its constitutionality and stuff like that. And so then they interviewed me uh, about the issue. And they were talking about how the IRS is basically bullying people, that they're uh, a law unto themselves. They don't really seem to be under any authority. And that they, they abuse fundamentals of the Constitution routinely every single day. You've got no appeal. 
uh, once the IRS makes a ruling, you're just done. You have to do what they say or you go to jail. And uh, there's really not a good legal defense. And uh, the very premise of, of the existence of the IRS is uh, from many fundamentalist standpoint of the founding era and the actual meaning of the words in uh, the Constitution and in that concept of limited government, the IRS shouldn't even exist. So anyway, they asked me, you know, what about the IRS and uh, preaching and, and uh, you know, they have all these rules that you're not allowed to say certain things from the pulpit. And I, and I just shared uh, in the interview, I said, I, I record myself preaching, deliberately violating IRS rules and mail them a DVD and say, Amen. look, I'm doing the wrong thing. You better come do something about it. And they won't do it. And uh, I, I've prayed out loud in front of the media. Dear God, please let the IRS attack my church so I can take them to court and sue them all the way to the Supreme Court. I, I want them to get mad at me. And I've tried. I've, I've poked them. I've made fun of them. I've said they're cowards publicly in the news. And I've sent them DVDs. And, and cause I don't get up in the morning on Sunday and say, now, what is the IRS tax code? Because I have to preach. I get my sermons from the Bible. And um, so I made the point that I, I hope they come attack me. And they're going to tell me what to preach in America. And so people people got riled up in the theaters. And so that stuck in the producer's mind. And many years went by. And then um, they had done a, a previous movie. The movie that they had done was just called The Enemies Within. And that was chronicling how many members of the United States Congress at that time during the Obama era, were card-carrying communists, and many still are. And uh, the, the documentary, of course, was um, heavily resisted by the Republicans. And you know, people saying, "Well, you shouldn't use the word communist; that's too harsh. You just sound like bomb throwers and conspiracy theorists." And so they went through all of their struggles, being on the cutting edge of something that was uh, evolving. Of course, Obama never admitted that he was a communist because it still wasn't in vogue. I mean, let's face it, Obama said he was against gay marriage. Yep. But then, you know, society lurched to the left again. And then you have Uncle Bernie runs and he just comes right out and say, hey, I'm a communist. And communism is the right thing for America. Vote for me. And he has this huge following. And all of a sudden you realize, you know, one of the reasons why conservative people and Christians in particular get defeated in all these political battles is we're in such pragmatism and such denial about how bad things are. But anyway, um, they wanted to, they discovered that the Marxist and, and communist theories had been Ill infiltrating the United States church, specifically evangelicals, obviously the Catholics as well. I mean, the, the, the current Pope is a, is a pretty clear communist and uh, so the Catholic Church has been infiltrated by Marxism, and there's been a strong effort that's really undeniable now that has emerged in the evangelical church. And the producers felt like, you know, we need to get a minister that's willing to tackle this. And uh, so they came and talked to me. They said, hey, you, you had everybody shouting in the theater in our last movie. Would you be willing to do this? And I looked at it and I agreed to it. And uh, we spent three and a half years making the film. And uh, thousands and thousands of Americans are watching the film right now. I mean, it's going wild. People are, uh, we're selling out. I mean, they're, they're, we thought people would just want to live stream it. We've made it available on a platform. You can stream it instantly in 4K anywhere. And, but, but there's, there's still a lot of people that just want old-fashioned DVDs. And we can hardly keep the DVDs in production 
to keep up with the demand of people wanting to buy the movie. And we're getting feedback every day. My inbox is getting so jammed full. I can't respond to everything. And, um, you know, along with that, you know, some criticism too. There's, that's unavoidable. But uh, the movie is something I've had a lot of ministers who are initially resistant to it. They say, well, I don't think it's right to criticize others and things like that. And I totally agree. Generally speaking, it's not very healthy and not usually very Christ-like just to criticize people for the sake of criticizing people. And so they realize when they get into the movie, that's not what this movie is about. We're not criticizing people for the sake of criticizing people. We're defending the gospel of Jesus Christ. Come on, that's right. People who are willfully perverting it and misleading millions of young Americans into something that will not only destroy their faith and keep them out of heaven because they'll never have any context wherewith to repent of their sins, to feel any guilt for having committed a sin in the first place. And if you don't repent and you never feel guilt, there is no way for you to get born again. I mean, the Bible teaches you have to hear the gospel. How should they hear if there's not a preacher? And, and, And the preacher has to be preaching the right thing. And what is it that they need to hear first? Well, they need to hear that they're in trouble that God's wrath is real and that Christ is returning and sin is the problem. So you've got to deal with sin. If you don't deal with sin, nobody repents, nobody gets saved. And this pseudo gospel that's happening now, I'm telling you, it's dangerous. So the movie is about, first of all, what is the gospel to begin with? And why do we have to defend it? We have to defend it because we because we love people, we care about them, we want them to get born again. We want them to have the joy of the Lord that we have, to know that their sins are forgiven, and to have healthy, strong families, and marriages that last a lifetime, and houses that thrive in God, and that are blessed, and kids that grow up strong, and they're able to withstand all the temptations in the minefield of our culture. We want to have a good, healthy country. We want to have liberty. We want to have freedom. We want to have people that represent us that don't lie through their teeth every chance that they get in front of a camera. We want to have a media that's honest and honorable because it's filled with people that go to church and have a conscience. And they know that my job is to tell the truth. And I wouldn't tell a lie because it offends my Savior. We want Christianity. And so if you want Christianity, then you got to preach it. you got to say exactly what it is. And we have a huge movement in this country right now that is changing the meaning of the word Christianity. And instead of young people in particular, if I'm remembering correctly, latest poll, 58% of millennials, roughly people the ages 25 to 40, 58% of Americans who are in that age bracket openly say, according to a scientific study, They do not want free markets. They want socialism or communism, anything but free markets. That's 58% of the generation that came before me. Politically, if you don't even believe in God, you don't believe in Jesus, you don't go to church, you're a maverick, you're your own personal pope in your basement. Whoever you are, if you like freedom and you like liberty and you like all the blessings uh, that we have been given from uh, greater generations that came before us that thought of others when they founded something called the United States of America. If you live in this country and you like the good things about America that other people are willing to break the law just to sneak in and cross our borders to enjoy, then you should be concerned that people between the ages of 25 and 40 don't want free markets. And Marxism is a demonic 
It is antithetical to the scripture. It is impossible to defend with the scripture. It's irreconcilable with the Bible. And yet, because we have a generation of watered down preachers who won't tell the truth and won't deal with sin and won't confront people as they're commanded to, but rather wish to entice and allure more people to come sit down to listen to them on Sunday morning. And they call that church growth. We have this church growth movement and all they care about is marketing and positivity and happiness. So they've jettisoned the preaching of repentance because that is not happy. Nobody wants to be told they're wrong. Nobody wants to be told you've got sin in your life. You have to repent of that, walk away from sin and begin to obey what Jesus has taught us to do. Sinful people don't like that. I don't know if you folks realize that, but they don't like to be told that they're in sin. That's right. That's what we're commanded to do as preachers. So what's happening is you have 25 to 40 year olds who are really, if you look at demographics of a healthy church, that's the group you need in your church. And you've got a lot of preachers that are saying, how do we attract them? How do we get them to come? So here's what they're doing. They're adopting Marxist talking points. They're beginning to believe themselves that Jesus is okay with socialism. Some are more aggressive. They say Jesus was a socialist and they're using, it's, it's under the moniker, the social justice gospel, or they say that we're, they're woke. And they're using this as a way to draw in people ages 25 to 40 so that they can have a big audience on Sunday morning. And then what do they do when they get up in the pulpit? They don't preach against sin. They don't, they don't preach the real gospel of the Bible. They don't tell anybody you must be born again and you have to repent to be born again. You're not getting that. You're getting God loves you just the way that you are. Come as you are, stay as you are and leave as you were. That is not what the Bible teaches, but that is, if you look at, most of the large churches in the United States right now, that is essentially what they're doing. And you'll start to hear the ministers in these kinds of churches saying things like talking about white privilege. That's a Marxist term. This is something coined by communists. It's a way to divide and conquer a nation. You'll have them talk about um, the word intersectionality. An easy way to describe intersectionality is I call it the victim Olympics. Everybody's a victim. You you should feel offended because people have done wrong to you. And those people groups who've done wrong to you should apologize and repent to you, which is the exact opposite of the true gospel, which is Jesus Christ is the greatest victim who ever lived. And you're the villain in that story. You put Jesus on the cross with your sins and you need to repent because you contributed to the very murder of the son of God. You're the villain. He's the victim. Repent of your sins and the great news. God will forgive you as bad as you are, as terrible as what you did to his son is. God is so good and he loves people so much and he's so full of tender mercies. He will forgive all the things you did to put Jesus on the cross, wipe your slate clean and adopt you as his own child. See, that's the real gospel. Amen. But that's not what people are being told. So Marxism is basically being used as a way to draw people into these big growing churches where the minister wears shorts and sits on a stool and gives a TED talk on Sunday morning. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. And I do think we're having church because I'm getting excited in here and I'm wanting to interrupt you with glory and hallelujah and bring it down, (laughs) Brother Kerry. That's what I'm wanting to do. But, you know, as you're speaking there, 
I'm thinking of what the what the documentary goes to. So let's deal with some of that. Let me let me bring this into play because what you're saying is First of all, people don't even know when you say you can be saved. People don't even know what they're what that means anymore. Saved from what? Yeah, saved what are from what? To be saved from? Yeah, R.C. Sproul had a book. Say, I don't need to be saved. What? I'm yep. not lost. Yep. R.C. Sproul had a book uh, years ago that said, "Save from what." And it's yeah. safe from your sin that's going to destroy you, your lawlessness that's going to destroy you, and it's slate, and it's being saved from the second death, the wrath to come, the wrath of God. You know, we've had uh, people like Billy Graham preach these, and won't you come? And won't you come? And it's like, well, wait a minute, dude, because he'll he'll tell stuff like, you're going to go out into a Christless eternity. Nothing could be further from the truth because Christ is just as much in hell. That's his wrath as he is his grace yeah. in heaven. So nobody's escaping God. Nobody's escaping nope. Christ. They're going to meet him there. You know, the old song, uh, Highway to Hell. And I'm going to, my friends are going to be, yeah, your friends are going to be there if they don't repent, but it yeah. ain't going to be a party. It's going to be weeping no. and gnashing of teeth. So let me bring this in, and I want to take what you said there in those those minutes there, and then let's lead into what you've done here in the uh, in the in the documentary, this comes from Second Peter chapter two, and I was just thinking of this because the Marxists are promising these people a, a liberty. They're saying, "Well, government will take care of it, and you'll be you'll be free to do whatever you want." But when they really get in power, we had G. Edward Griffin on who talked about. It. He says, "When you really get the Marx in the, you get the Marxist. They're the ivory tower guys. But when you get the Marxist Leninist." When they get in power, they squash everybody who helped them get there. And here's what Peter says, and he talks about false teachers. This is going to come into the church. He says, um, These are wells without water, clouds that are carried with the tempest, to whom the midst of darkness is reserved forever. For when they speak great swelling words of vanity, they allure through the lust of the flesh, through much wantonness, those that were clean escape from them who live in error." While they promise them liberty, they themselves are the servants of corruption, for of whom a man is overcome, of the same is he brought into bondage. For if after they have escaped the pollutions of the world through the knowledge of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, they are again entangled therein and overcome, the latter end is worse with them than the beginning. For it had been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than after they have known it to turn from the holy commandment delivered unto them. But this has happened unto them according to the true proverb, the dog is turned to his own vomit again, and the sow that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. Now, Pastor Kerry, let me ask you this. In watching this, I couldn't help but think of words uh, by John Owen, and where he referenced the issue of apostasy. And I don't, th- right. I don't know if you guys brought that up, but he really talked about uh, one of the key steps in apostasy is sexual sin. And I know that had a that that ran through with the whole sodomite lesbian stuff that's going on, and some of these yeah. people like Al Moeller, whom mm-hmm. I heard after I became a new Christian, preach mm-hmm. Romans one, and it was like yeah. the whole place was quiet, and he was right on. And then to hear him say, "I'm repenting of that," as though yeah. he was wrong. Do you see that there's an apost a great apostasy that's taking place within the church? Oh, absolutely, and it's pervasive. It, it is. It is uh, with the great apostasy of our times, in my opinion, is ultimately antinomianism. It's and it's Amen. a very subtle. It's a very subtle problem because, on one hand, you have people that say, "Well, the New Testament 
is the only thing that matters. And it basically completely replaces and makes obsolete the Old Testament. And I say that that is the most damnable, dangerous, theological, fundamental error you can make. That's right. And begin trying to develop develop doctrine after that. But the truth is, uh, the biblical truth is that the New Testament is a continuation of what God was already doing in the world before Jesus came. And yes, there are abridgments and there are alterations and enhancements. There are certain things that are tackled and explained with more clarity. Um, there is definitely a reaction to the cross. There is a way to live after you have the beauty of his death, burial, and resurrection and the full knowledge of everything that the Son of God came to do. Of course, that would cause the new covenant to be superior, uh, but but only in the sense of this. When I say that the 11th grade with my child is superior to the 10th grade, I'm saying that always with the understanding that the 10th grade was essential and all of the truths that they learned in 10th grade were necessary so that they could develop and go further when they reach the 11th grade. I would never say the 11th grade is superior to the 10th grade in such a way that it would have been better if you'd never even gone to 10th grade. And, but that's what theology, that's, in American theology, antinomianism is essentially saying the New Testament is all you need, and it would be better if you didn't even read the Old Testament because it's just confusing. And that, that is a, a damnable, dangerous error that is at the root of almost every problem we face today in society. The reality is the New Testament is built upon the glorious, permanent, and eternal truths already soundly established Amen. by the beautiful Old Testament. And so that's really the root of a lot of our troubles in America and, and in most of the church today. Yeah, I, I, have, I have often said, I think that what we term as this Darby Schofield Dar, uh, uh, dispensationalism has been at the root of that in eradicating, separating out the covenants instead of seeing that the covenant is this thing that blossoms out and the fulfillment of that covenant is Christ. As, as the writer of Hebrews says, when he says the old is passing away to make way for the new, right? And yes. the, the getting away from all those ceremonies and the, the symbolism and stuff, because you got the substance. I mean, who wants to look at a, a Sears uh, wrote, you know, I'm going back old time, Sears Roebuck catalog, right? Who wants to look at that when you got the real stuff in your hand? Who wants to do that? Right. So why would they want to do the other? So let's 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 flesh that out a little bit. How is this Marxist approach, this this leaving the true gospel and substituting this social justice, uh, syrupy, milky? wussified, I don't know what word I can give, emasculated, effeminate kind of gospel, which is no gospel, Paul says. In fact, if you're preaching such a thing, you're accursed. How does that happen? Can you give some examples from the, the documentary you gave on some of the subjects and how that's being implemented? Well, sure. I mean, if you think of the Old Testament, specifically and in, in, in simplicity, the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue, it provides eternal truth that never changes in any covenant. It has never, ever in all the 15 covenants in the scripture ever been okay to tell a lie to someone or to commit adultery or to kill someone because you're angry that they just, uh, you know, made you angry. So you killed them. It, murder is always wrong. Lying is wrong. Adultery is wrong. That's right. You should always be honorable to your parents. So these fundamentals are objective laws 
that never change. In fact, I would say, you know, 16 million years from now, it's still going to be considered a sin uh, to lie or to commit adultery or to steal or to kill. And so as soon as you divorce yourself from the Old Testament objective law and you attempt then to create a pseudo objective law only from the New Testament, what they like to do generally is they'll say that the only law that matters is the law of love. And then so then now what's happened is everything is ultimately relativistic. So the development of all of your beliefs as a Christian are squishy and moldable and they they adapt and they're really progressive to use a very sensible word. It's political progressivism and that mentality or judicial progressivism and how you see judges unhitching from the actual meanings, the words of the constitution on the day they were written, what the men who wrote it meant. They don't care. They reinterpret it. Well, it means this to me. And so then the constitution is moot. Law becomes malleable and shapeable. Well, that same transgression that that dishonest intellectual approach to the legal world happens in Christian theology. As soon as I get rid of the objective meanings of God's law in the Old Testament, and I, I pick something wonderful, like the topic of love, but now love becomes very, very malleable, changeable, shapeable, uh, and, and truth and good and bad and right and wrong kind of grow and evolve with society. And that's what's happening. That's what apostasy is. It, it is a church that unhitches from objective truths and then truths, chooses, in preference, subjective or emotion-based teaching. And American culture is led by emotions, not by thesis, antithesis thinking. And so... Um, Really, that's the crux of it. And so what I always ask is, how, how do you determine what biblical love is without the Ten Commandments? And I, I say it can't be done. I agree. And the only way to know what biblical love is, is by defining it in the light of the Ten Commandments. Because we know God is love, and God wrote the Ten Commandments. He inspired them. So therefore, I say it like this. If you look at God's law correctly, Instead of saying, God told me I can't do these things, and and the Old Testament tells you can't do this and you can't do that, but in the New Testament, God says we can do this and we can't. Instead of seeing that, that's wrong. What you begin to see when you see the way God does is God loved the world so much. He loved me personally so much that he literally told the entire planet, don't lie to Kerry Gordon. God loved me personally so much. He told the whole world, when Carrie Gordon gets married, you leave her wife alone. That's right. You don't commit adultery. She belongs to him. And so I begin to see the law is God expressing his incredible love for me personally. And when I define love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, which is we often call it the love chapter, I say, you know, that meets up beautifully with the Ten Commandments because, you know, some things love won't do. It won't commit adultery. Love doesn't lie. Love doesn't covet. Love doesn't dishonor our parents. Loving God doesn't just treat God's day as though it's, you know, cheap and unholy and do whatever I want. So modern Christian theology has divorced the idea of love from God's law. And you'll hear preachers routinely say the law of love has replaced the Ten Commandments. That's just nonsense. Yep. 
That's absolutely wrong. And that's really the root of so many problems in the American church. And we do deal with that in the movie. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking when you're saying that, do these people not read the New Testament that when the guy comes to Jesus and he goes, you know, Jesus goes, well, what's the greatest commandment? He goes, well, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And Jesus goes, and the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And what is he tying? On this, on these two, on these two laws, hang all of the law and the prophets. So my, a former pastor that we had, he wrote a book. Um, I forget the name of it right now. I wrote the forward for it, uh, Michael Ware. And I'll have that up in the link for, for people if they want to pick that up. But Michael was dealing with this, the, the people, they've kind of stolen the, the, the language, New Covenant theology, and they use the same thing. And their love is this squishy, syrupy, feely kind of stuff. And yet the Bible— it Really, it's humanism. That's right. It's humanism with, with Christian language layered over top of it. But yeah. it's, it's really no different than what some atheist professor would say at college. Yeah, well, the question is, is this. How many times did Jesus tell people that he loved them? He did it. He demonstrated it. He he was not the Budweiser commercial, hey, man, I love you. He demonstrated. The Bible (laughs) says that God demonstrated his love. How? Sending his son to die for our sins, right? He demonstrated that love. How do we demonstrate our love to our wife? Well, we obviously demonstrate it different, our love for our wife, than we do for other people women who are not our wife. Uh, We demonstrate it different than our children, and then we demonstrate our love for our children different than that. We demonstrate our love for strangers and all this. We demonstrate our love. It's not just, I love you. I mean, James says, if you you say, hey, be warmed and filled, that's that's not helping the guy who needs uh, clothing and who needs food. You demonstrate it by help, by actually helping him and showing him love. So I appreciate what you're having to say. So how does that get, how is that getting into these seminaries that used to, you know, Southern Baptist, you know, I'm again, I'm not picking on Southern Baptist, uh, you know, I I was one, my dad is still one, he's still a pastor there. And but how how does this affect what we're seeing in these seminaries? They have a rich history. People like Charles Spurgeon influenced this, Boyce, yeah. all these kind of guys heavily Christian, hold the doctrine that you and I hold to. How did they get to this thing where they're embracing this this Marxist worldview and putting out these things, which is uh, putting them at war with God and putting their students at war with God. How did that come in? Well, it's very tricky, and it really connects well to what you've just stated. It really is about true biblical love. And so the idea that they come up with is that socialism is a means of showing God's love. And they will argue that the government should be uh, being compassionate to people who are uh, have misfortune or who, who need things. And so they take the angle of God's compassion. And even I've read some things where people take the verses that you just mentioned. Uh, I believe it's from James. Am I right? That's what you're talking about. Yeah, yep. uh, when James wrote down, you know, somebody comes and says, I'm hungry. And you say, well, you know, bless you. I'll pray for you. Be warmed and filled. And th- th- you have to actually get food to them. And so they'll take ideas like that. And they'll say, see, the government needs to be more Christian. The government needs to be more godly. <laughs> yeah. And this is what Jesus would do. But here's the thing. And this, this, is, the, this is the problem. So I, when I'm talking to my kids, you, you, were, you mentioned I have six children. And they, they range from almost 20 years old to my four-year-old son and three boys and three girls. And when I'm explaining what's wrong with Marxism, 
uh, in terms of the love of God and that it is not appropriate for the government to attempt to show compassion and love. I explain it like this. I take our board game, I set it on the table and I like Monopoly. We like Monopoly at my house and I can take out the Monopoly rule book and I can show them this is the rule book. Um, and the rule book is essentially the government of Monopoly. It's the rules that you have to abide by. And everyone sort of comes into an agreement. We make a covenant, if you will, at the beginning of the, of the game, we're going to abide by these rules. And this is the government. You show them the document. And then, it, but if I throw that book down on the ground and say, now let's just all sit back and watch. Watch what, dad? Well, the game, it's going to play itself. It's going to play itself. They say, what are you talking about? The, the game doesn't play itself. People have to abide by the rules and it's the people that play the game. And I said, now I'm just explaining to you the fallacy of Marxism. Marxism, or let's just say it this way, government is the constitution. Government is that huge stack of growing laws that Congress keeps making. Government is cold and it is without the ability to show compassion. That's right. The government can no more show love and compassion, legitimate, biblical, tangible love and compassion as God created it to exist, cannot come from a government any more than the rule book of my Monopoly game could play itself at the table. The government doesn't do that. Who plays the game? People do. Who shows compassion in this world? Only individual souls are capable of producing a nature that comes from God himself called love and compassion. So the problem with Marxism is it pretends that the rule book of Monopoly can play the game by itself or that the government can be compassionate. Governments are incapable of being compassionate. This is a, a confusion of sound and sense. That's the, the simplest way that I would explain it to my 11-year-old child on why Marxism can't be compassionate, and therefore Jesus could not be a Marxist. Jesus could not be a socialist, because if you look carefully at all of his teachings, he always stressed it was the individual person That's right. who was commanded to show compassion to their neighbor and to provide help to those who needed help, food for those who were hungry, water for those who were thirsty. Compassion comes from the soul of a born-again man or a woman, and that is the way charity is to be done biblically, from only individuals. It is never the role of government to attempt to usurp that or to pretend that they can. Well, you know, you and mentioned the seminaries are doing that. Yeah. That's what the, this is what the seminaries are doing. They're right. confusing. They're confusing sound and sounds. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned the, the, the love for the neighbor. You know, we did uh, when I get on this subject, I always go to the Good Samaritan. Because the guy yeah. wants to test Jesus, well, who's my neighbor? And Jesus gave him the story. And the Samaritan, you know, the, the religious guys, boy, Jesus had such contempt for the religious guys who were supposed to know better, who were supposed to be teaching. He always, he had that condemnation for them. Matthew 23, oh my goodness, the woes, the judgments he's pouring out on them because they don't, they, they say, but they don't do, what, which is what James 2 talks about. 
But one of the interesting things is he he brings this guy who's the arch enemy, you know, Jews and Samaritans, and this guy uses of his oil and wine to bind up the guy's wounds. He has compassion on him. What you said a minute ago, he takes care of him, and he says, "When I'm coming back through, if I owe anything, if if you if you know you spent some of your own money, innkeeper, I'm going to pay you back." And why? Yeah. Was it because he knew the guy for a long time? No, he'd just seen him there beaten by robbers, and he had compassion as a human being. He loved he loved the guy. He demonstrated it, even though he didn't know him, out of his own resources. So he was providing charity, or we call it love. He was doing that. Now we did yes. a we did a video uh, some time back. We we sort of enhanced it or whatever. When I was at NiceInCouncil dot com, uh, excuse me, I've got the I got the wrong thing there. I'm clicking the wrong button. Not yours to give. And some people have probably heard the story of David Crockett, taxation in the public treasury. And one of the things that strikes me in there is during the time of David Crockett, what had happened was there was a fire in Georgetown, about five houses burned down. And the Congress said, well, we're going to allocate $20,000 to help these families. And everybody thought, all the you know representatives thought, oh, this is great. We'll help these people. We're being charitable. So when David Crockett goes back to ask for the vote, the guy who's in the town, the, the district that he's at, says – I'm not voting for you. You could have given them $20 million versus 20000 It's not yours to give. You're right. restricted in what you can spend money on, just like when you were talking about Congress writing all these laws. They're restricted in the laws they can write on. In fact, the vast majority are written by corporations or special interests that, that want to usurp the Constitution for their own benefit rather than for the benefit of the people. And so this is something I think people have to get in their mind – the individual is responsible, and you know I'm recalling in the Old Testament where it says there's a there's a generation that thinks they're clean from their sins, but they're still filthy in them. And so, is that not what we're seeing here with the things that you're talking about? They give this pietist. You mentioned pietism. I love that. They give this mm-hmm. pietistic thing that sound like they're spiritual. It's very Pharisaical, but their hearts are far from God. Their lips are close to Him. Their hearts are far from Him, and I don't know how we get – I guess the churches are going to have to start saying, we're not going to support you. We're going to call you out. And I do think in, in positions of, of a leadership where these guys are speaking out, where they are being teachers in the public arena, the Bible says that we're to call them out publicly. I'm for Matthew 18 when you're sin against your brother and you go yeah. through that process. I've had that done to me. It is not a comfortable feeling, but I'm going to tell you what. No. It is a demonstration that somebody loves you to call you from your sin, because if you don't have somebody do it, you know, the Bible tells us God does that for us because he loves us. Is this not what we need? Is this not what this DVD is? It's not only exposing it, but it's calling these men who were, at least some of them were speaking the true word. Now they've abandoned that for this, this Marxist kind of non-gospel. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, that our number one goal, we made the film. And, and and we not only made the film, but prayed uh, and sometimes in tears over some of the things we would find. It was so emotionally difficult. Uh, some, some of my days of interviews, you know, our director would tell you we would get done with the day and he'd say, how are you doing? I'd say horrible. I mean, I just want to crumple on the ground and weep at the injustice and the horrible things that are going on. And I knew that America was in trouble and I knew that the church was in trouble, but three and a half years of uh, this level of investigative study and digging in and looking at evidence and having whistleblowers come to you and say, here, here's what happened. Here's a video. I got an audio recording. Here's they published this. They actually wrote this themselves. You start to look at that and you see how bad it is. 
Um, it was really, really challenging. And so our number one goal in making the film was to do it in a way that, of course, you're showing a, a, a moment of fiery preaching um, that happens later in the movie, but really to work our way through the evidence and to show what's going on. And it builds to a point where, honestly, everybody watching the movie is kind of all mad at the same time. Um, and our, our number one hope, and still is, thousands of people are watching the movie every day. And my number one hope is that people will repent and say, you know what? I got tricked. Uh, I got suckered into this. I just care about people and I don't like racism. And it sounded like they were against racism, you know, like Black Lives Matter. I mean, because they do matter. I love black people and red, yellow, black and white. They're all precious in his sight. Yep. Racism is from Satan. And, and they get suckered in on an emotional catch. It's a bait and switch. And people have, you know, they have good motives. They want to do good things and they get pulled into this. Some people naively without fully understanding what they're doing. And we want them to repent. We want them to say, oh, my word, I've sinned. I've done wrong. I've gotten myself in an alliance with people that are wicked, that have a terrible agenda that's destructive and harmful, and it actually misleads people away from Jesus. And God, forgive me. I won't do it anymore. I think there's ministers out there that they just think, man, how do I get people to come to church? Uh, you know, because churches, people don't want to attend church. Our, our culture, um, it's falling away. It's falling away from God. And so that they have to look at empty pews every week. And so they, they go to some church growth expert and he says, if you talk about white privilege, people will come to your church. And so they start bantering the same kind of lingo that's happening over at the secular schools at the college with atheist professors. And, and then the young people start coming to church and say, hey, I kind of like this pastor. He's cool. He's hip. He doesn't wear a tie. He sits on a stool. It's like a TED talk. I kind of like this. And so they, they, they start out with good motives. And, and they want people to come, but then they realize maybe through a movie like ours that they've just actually helped the enemy naively, didn't mean to. You know, we want those people to repent, but that there's another class of person. There's 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 people that we have to deal with. They believe themselves. They are the ones causing this deception and misleading of other preachers. They are a, aggressive socialists. They will call themselves communitarians. They, they change the language so that they can avoid the stigma of the word Marxist or socialist, but they are aggressively promoting a fake, unbiblical idea that essentially the monopoly rule book can play, the, play its own game by itself, or um, a government can be compassionate and loving like Jesus. And But they believe themselves. They're totally deceived by the devil. And we're calling them to repentance. We want these people to understand you're wrong. What you're saying is absolutely not biblical and you must stop it. Or we're telling everybody to turn away from you because you're going to hurt people. Pastor Kerry, can you hold that thought for just a second? Can you hold over for, with us for a few minutes? Is that OK? Sure. I gotta, what time I, is it? It's uh, it's about well, it's about four o'clock here. Uh, but if you can hold over for a few minutes, I want to do that because we got to close out the show here. Can you hold sure. on for just a couple of minutes? Okay, I'll and I'll let you finish that. that thought. Okay, guys, check out enemieswithinthechurch.com. Enemieswithinthechurch.com. Get the DVD. Have a family night and watch that, or invite some friends over and watch that together, and then talk about it. See what you can do to sort that out. And uh, guys, you love by what you do, right? See you tomorrow, 6 a.m., Lord willing. 
All right, I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And pa- Pastor Kerry, I'm sorry to cut you off. It's just you know we have a time frame there, but no uh, I appreciate you staying. I don't want to I don't want to interfere with something. So uh, you tell me when you need to go. But I want to let you finish that thought, and then I want to I want to pitch one more thing to you and let you comment on that if you if you have time to do that. So go ahead and finish sure. your thought. Well, uh, let's see. What was I talking about? Um, <laughs> I know that happens. <laughs> I apologize. You, well, you're on the issue of you're distinguishing between government and and them being charitable and the individual and the responsibility continually relies on the individual because it's the individual is going to be standing before God and it's not government is going to be standing. Uh, as John Calvin says, when God wants to judge nations, uh, wicked nations, he's going to send them wicked rulers. And, there, and that yeah. judgment is going to happen here and now, but in the in eternity, he's judging the individual. So I think you were on something of, of that nature, and not in those words, but uh, I, I don't know if you want to add something to that or if you want me to go ahead and ask the other question. Well, uh, that, that pretty much summarizes it perfectly. I mean, governments don't have compassion. Governments can't show love. I mean, we sort of project it onto them, but it's just as fallacious and silly to say that the rule book um, – you know, governing the game of Monopoly could play itself. It takes human beings to abide by the government of the game. The human beings are the ones who experience joy and laughter and sometimes frustration when they're losing the game of Monopoly. And so the emotions are unique to the individual players. There's not a collective emotion necessarily. Everyone experiences their own emotions and everyone is able to express the love of God independently alone and by themselves you could even get in a church group and that church can do something together in unity that's quite loving but the love isn't emanating from the group so much as it's emanating from each individual person in the group and it's very important to make these distinctions in our theology else we're easily deceived to fall into the thinking that government is called to be compassionate and loving, and we project emotions onto a government and then begin to take passages that are directed only at individual persons and try to put them over onto governments, and then you have the all the ingredients necessary for the soup of communism and Marxism, or what you would call maybe Christian communism or Christian Marxism, and it's a fallacy, and it's not biblical. That's right. That's right. Okay. So here's the here's the here's the thing I want to pitch to you. I did a interview. This is uh, November the nineteenth, twenty twenty. I did this with G. Edward Griffin. You probably seen his old the the black and white there. Uh, we did a Back to the Future with uh, with G. Edward Griffin. And uh, one of the things was I took him back. We played about the first three minutes of his talk, and he was talking about this this revolution that happens both peaceful and violent. And it's happening at the same time. There's a peaceful communist revolution, and there's a violent one that's going on. And it's very interesting. Uh, you know, I would encourage people to listen to what he has to say. But one of the things I asked him was I said, okay, so have they targeted the church? In other words, I was asking him a question that was really outside my reality at the time. I said, are they targeting the church to actually put communists in the pulpit? And from what I saw— in your documentary, it sounds like they have targeted the pulpits of America to infiltrate the church, as the Bible, the Apostle Paul says, Satan transforms his ministers into angels of light. They come with the flowery language. They come, you know, quoting scripture, just like the devil. The devil knows how to do it. Read the temptation of Jesus. He's quoting it, and Jesus is like, um, you didn't get that right, dude. This is what it really says. Um, 
Can you speak to that? Because it seems like you guys did touch on that quite a bit within the documentary. Have the churches been targeted by the communists, and are they putting their boys in the pulpits? Absolutely. It's unquestionable. The evidence is irrefutable. And they've been targeting the American churches for more than 100 years. Hmm. This has been going on a very long time. And we did a lot of historical research to prove it. And we even go through in the documentary and show you some of the persons who are the most influential in that infiltration, both in the Catholic sector and the, in the Protestant sectors of uh, American Christianity. And that was deliberate because it was Christian thinking that produced the constitutional form of government that we have. And it's Christian thinking, you know, fundamentally speaking, that is incompatible with communism. So they realized that, you know, politics are downstream from culture and culture is downstream from the efficacy of that nation's religion. And if they want to change the culture, then they have to change religion. And why would they want to change religion? Well, because they want to change the culture. And why would they want to change the culture? Well, because they want to change the politics. And why would they want to change the politics? Well, because they want to change the government. And so they see free markets and capitalism as an evil and a terrible thing that must be confronted and addressed. They can do it two ways. They can go to war with us and have a giant nuclear war, or they can infiltrate us from within and change our minds so that we become just like them. And it seems that that is the road that we're on now. We don't need necessarily to worry about war with communism. Uh, China has waged uh, first, I would argue, a biological war by releasing this thing called, you know what, C-19. I won't say it in case of you getting... Um, we call it the know, corona. It on, your, ...on your broadcast. Yeah, we call it the and, beer bug. <laughs> oh, there you go. So that, that's, that's biological warfare. And then the next layer is psychological warfare. If you put these magical pieces of, you know, the daisy print your mom made for you over your nose, you'll be fine. Well, that's just psychological warfare. It doesn't work. Uh, that, and people say, well, it works a little bit. Sometimes it works. Okay, I'm going to drop a piano on your head. Here's an umbrella. Every little bit helps. <laughs> Wiley Coyote. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, no, it doesn't work. But, but, but that, the forced submission, it's psychological warfare. And, and what do we all look like in America now? We look like Chinese communists from five years ago. That's right. When they had the bird flu. And so they, they launched biological war. Then they do a psychological war. And then why? Because well, they can avoid the military war. If we start acting and thinking just like communist China, China doesn't have to fight us because we're just going to be good friends. So all of this is working together. You've got them infiltrating our religious institutions as far back as 100 years ago. And of course, now it's culminating and becoming very obvious. You've got George Soros, uh, an avowed statist with his billions of dollars, and he's funneling money into Christian education, uh, into seminaries and into guys that like at the ERL, ERLC, the Ethics, Religious, Liberty, whatever that thing is, ERLC of the Southern Baptist Convention. And, and he's giving money to those guys because they're doing his bidding and they're helping to slowly change the thinking of American Christians so it's more compatible to their political ideals. And that's what they're doing when they confuse sound and sense 
on the idea that government should be loving like Jesus and government should be compassionate because then they can sell communism to churches. If the pastors get up and preach communism and Marxism in the name of Jesus, the communists in China and North Korea win. It's interesting, isn't it? Jesus never appealed to the people who looked for help from him to say, well, why don't you go see Caesar about that? Or why don't you go see Pilate about that? Or why don't you go see Herod about that? He never did that. He was always one to do it. And then when his disciples remember that, they said, the people are hungry, Lord. It's been a long time. Will you feed them? Well, we don't have anything to feed them. And he sat them down. And what did he do? He fed them. It wasn't, and even when when they found food there that he multiplied, it was the young boy willing to give it up to be used by the master. It wasn't it wasn't him pointing to government or to go steal from somebody else to get you know Robin Peter to get pay Paul. I mean, I just I have heard some of these politicians. Nancy Pelosi's one of them who who talks about you know the Jesus, the word, the word, you know, just the stupid nonsensical stuff of of just. Oh man, it's it's sickening for the true believer to hear somebody regurgitate that stuff. It's like the smell of vomit that comes out when you know what the true gospel is and what it does to people and the compassion that comes out of their own hearts rather than looking to government to do it. Is yes. there a final is there a final word you want to give people cuz like I say I don't want to take up all your time but I would love to have you back on the show if you would come back on and just oh, I'd be honored. Yeah, let's go through some other things. I would love to I would love to do a show on taxation. Uh we sure. had some people from the church we used to be at. We did a film or we put a, we projected a film on the back of our house outside. We had a cookout, had some people over and stuff and we watched a film by homeschoolers called The Widow's Might. M-I-G-H-T. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Very, oh, I have. It's very powerful. It was. It was. They had musical. The the guys did it. It was a homeschool film. Well done comedy. Wow. But it deals with the issue of taxation and wow. how the people came to basically save the property of this widow lost her husband and the town had come in wanting to confiscate her property and all this stuff and i gotta tell you i'm one of those boys i'm a good old southern boy i'll tell you i think we started going downhill with lincoln and his marxist cabinet and all the people in there and we've seen the fruit of that now and the people yes. that that they say is the great conservative ronald reagan is the guy who sold us out to the soviet education khrushchev said we ain't gonna have to fire a shot we're gonna defeat you yeah. that's what you just explained to us and so yes. as a as a as a guy like i am just seeing what i'm seeing and what i've learned i look back and say you know what? When I look to Scripture, where the first time where you see these taxes come in is under King Saul, and it yes. didn't look like it was a good thing that God was putting up there. He said, "This is what He's going to do. This is a result of your sin of rejecting Me." Right. And Samuel told him, I, w- "I would be thrilled to bring you back on to talk about that issue of, of taxation." But I want to give you the final sure. word—a word of exhortation uh, to the people who are listening. Well. The most important thing is if you've never been born again or you never repented of your sins, all you have to do is repent of your sins and go to God and say, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I've done wrong. You can give him specifics. You'll know in your conscience what you've done. You've told lies. You've cheated. You haven't honored God's day. You don't go to church like you ought to. You haven't been kind. You lose your temper. There's all there's a million ways that you can sin. And you know it. You know when you do it. You've got to go to God and you've got to repent of all that. And if you repent and say you're sorry, realizing that you contributed to killing him, he will forgive you and he'll cleanse you and wash your past away. And you have a whole new beginning. It's like being born a second time. 
When you're born the first time you came into the world, you hadn't done anything wrong. And it was just a fresh start. And being born a second time is the same way. We call it being born again. You get a fresh start. It's like a newborn baby. You haven't done anything wrong in the eyes of God. He's forgiven you of everything. It's the most beautiful thing in the world. What a tragedy to go through life, you know, talking about important things like politics or fun things like your hobbies and then find yourself on your deathbed and you never gave your life to Christ. And now you got to go to hell because it's the right thing. It's the right place for you to go because you didn't repent. So repent of your sins, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior, ask God to forgive you. He'll give you grace and grace is something powerful and wonderful. It's the ability to live different. It's the ability to say no to temptation. It's the ability to say no to sin and to live a different way than you used to. If you used to beat your wife before you got saved, now you can have a good marriage if you obey 1 Corinthians 13. And you have to go to church to learn how to do that. So that's the most important thing. But really, one of the reasons I'm on this show today is go to enemieswithinthechurch.com and either stream the movie or you can buy a DVD there on the site. We'll mail it to you. But please watch the movie. And then if that movie ministers to you like it has thousands of other people. Would you please share that movie with as many people as you can? You'll understand after you watch it why all the big gatekeepers are slamming the doors on our movie and they don't want our movie to play on any of the systems, um, you know, because we're not pro-gay and we talk about sin and you're not, you're not allowed to do that in America anymore. The First Amendment doesn't matter in America anymore. Yep. So if you'll help us with grassroots efforts, we've got to have all hands on deck to get this message out. I'm preaching the gospel. I'm leading people to Jesus at the end of that movie. And please help us do it. We're going to translate it in nine languages and send it across the world. And we've got an avenue that's open to us now where we may be able to get this movie actually broadcast, of course, against the will of North Korea, but into certain homes in North Korea. Amen. And we may be able to get the movie into communist China where there's an underground church who will just gobble up this thing. This movie is going to go all over the world. We just need people to help us. And the best way you can help us is just go watch the movie and then invite your friends and family to watch it too. Amen. Amen. I, I appreciate you so much, uh, Pastor Kerry. I think, boy, there's a kindred spirit in this because we have the same Lord. We have the same baptism. Yeah. We've got the same command, and that is to disciple yeah. the nations according to all that Christ has commanded. And that's not just to repent and believe the gospel, but it's to obey him in every area of life for the glory of God. Paul says even yeah. eating and drinking, the most mundane things. I mean, who would have thought that when we eat and drink, we should glorify God with that? And so uh, we're of a kindred spirit. I'm looking forward to having you back on, especially talking about taxation. That's going to be a great one. Guys, don't miss Bradley at 3 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Central. Pastor Curie, I'll say goodbye to you after we go off the air and uh, catch him on there. And then we'll be back with you in the morning, 6 a.m., Lord willing. And uh, we'll see you then. Take care.